Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 203 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We're coming at you again from our coronavirus quarantine. It is me, Jason Evans, in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, Sam, you there in uh, you, you at Duke still, right? I am in Durham. I am in the midst of classes. I am trying to keep up with everything and staying safe. So uh, good to good to hear from you and, and good to be here. And I'm glad that we get to keep doing the show. And I think today is a fun episode. Oh, boy, is it ever. And Donald, uh, where are you now, Donald? You were in Charlotte. Are you still there? I'm still in Charlotte. Yep. Uh, still quarantined. We are. Uh, it's cool because the weather has been very nice lately. So I've been able to get out in the backyard, get, take some walks and and really be able to stay sane throughout all this. But as Sam mentioned, it is good to be able to keep doing this uh, as kind of a break in the action. I don't know what day it is. So this is a good time to always remember <laughs> what day it is. In case in case anyone isn't taking this whole thing seriously yet. If you are, if you have been to Durham any time in the last few years, you yeah, I, I mean, I know this is happening all over the place that that small businesses and restaurants and things are closing. Um, even Monuts closed last week. So if you've been to Durham and you've been in Monuts, you know what a special place it is. And that's not open anymore. So folks, please take all the precautions that are being lobbed at you because um, because even our most venerable institutions are are under threat by the coronavirus. The the. The, you know, if everyone keeps doing this, then we won't have to do it as long. There is a That's summer right. coming, and I think some people want to be able to enjoy some of it. And if we keep shirking these guidelines and 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 suggestions, then we're going to be here for the rest of the year. So and we want to see. I wanna, and I want to go back to Monats, most importantly. Exactly. So, <laughs> so help help me by staying inside. There we go. Uh, so in just a couple moments, folks. We have an interview with two former Dukies, one of whom has a national championship ring. They've got some great stories to tell you, and we're going to bring that to you in just a couple of moments. But before we do, we do have a little bit of roster news that we need to talk about. It was just about a week ago that we were here telling you about the newest Blue Devil, Patrick Tape, who was coming to us from Columbia, a big man um, who was going to be the first grad transfer in Duke program history. And now it turns out we are not getting him um, he he, kind of committed and then changed his mind. Um, there's there are a lot of there, there's some rumors flying around about what happened there. Um, uh, there, there. I've heard some talk that maybe he was a little concerned that he wasn't going to get a lot of playing time at Duke. Um, uh, shows you how quality our roster is. But um, Donald, I'll, I'll I'll go to you first. I mean, um, you know, we thought we were going to get this kid. We thought he was going to be one of the answers on the inside. Um, unfortunately, he's not. Yeah, and, and I, I don't know any of the specifics. I don't think any of us know the specifics about why he committed and decommitted in the span of like a week's time. But it's uh, it's unfortunate that we won't see him in a in a Duke uniform next year. What this means, I guess, as far as big man is concerned at the five, that uh, means Mark Williams is the penciled in starter uh, most likely at that at that position. Uh, there's really no he was the competition with. Uh, to pay in that area. So it, it'll be interesting to see what this means down the line. If it means that Matthew Hurt, for example, may be coming back and could be filling a in a little bit of that role. But uh, it, it's, it was interesting to me that he committed and decommitted in such a, a short time period. Uh, and it, it probably means that he, you know, decommitting doesn't necessarily mean you're not coming. Uh, it just means you reopen your commitment. But I think in this case, it seems like he's gone. Yeah. I, the, the, the whole, Timeline here is is a little confusing to me because, like we said last week, 
he wouldn't have, he, he wasn't, I don't think under any rush to commit. Then he does. And now he's gone uh, so quickly. Duke had one other story similar to this, which was the whole Carrick Felix saga, which took place. Oh, I don't even six, seven years ago um, where we were potentially getting a graduate transfer or a, or a Juco transfer uh, who was going to be joining the blue devils committed. And then it ended up not coming to Duke and, and going elsewhere. Uh, this is one of those stories that I think we'll look back and remember that it happened. Uh, and it'll be sort of, you know, one of those bizarre footnotes in, in Duke basketball history that Patrick Tepay was, was committed to the blue devils for 15 minutes and then, and then decided to leave. Hopefully it means that there is some other interesting news coming from elsewhere on the roster. Um, Jason alluded to some, to some rumors. Why don't we just acknowledge that the, I, I think one of the strong rumors is that Matthew Hurt might be considering coming back. He hasn't announced anything yet. Cassius Stanley was making uh, comments on, on social media this week, along with Joey Baker and the, and the Duke men's basketball uh, official account. We're, we're talking about Cassius Stanley, but in, in vague uh, supportive terms. So we don't know what that means yet. As of this recording on Saturday at noon, we don't know what Cassius Stanley is doing. Like I said, we don't know what Matthew Hurt is doing. We don't know what Wendell Moore is doing. Technically, Vernon Carey hasn't even left for the NBA yet. So uh, things are very much still in flux for for the Duke roster, and I'm sure this will not be our last update about it. Well, and the two things that I would say about this, first of all, regarding Pat- Patrick Tepay, um, the, the the roster is very full for next year. And even though we look at it and we go, oh, there aren't a lot of of – traditional big men, guys that play in the post. Look, we know college basketball has been evolving and changing. Pro basketball has probably already changed. Big men are not at a premium that they once were. And there are possibilities that Duke's going to have, you know, 11 guys who feel like they deserve minutes next year. We had 10 guys this year, I guess 11 if you count J-Rob, who came on late in the season. Um, it, It is a full, full roster. So, you know, again, even though you look at it and you go, ooh, where are the big men minutes going to come from? It's not out of the realm of possibility that Coach K just sort of goes, look, I'm, I'm putting my best, you know, five, six, seven, eight guys out there for the most part. And if it's not a big man, we'll figure it out. Or if there's only one big man who, who is notionally filling that role and you have three wing players and a point guard, you know, that this would not be the first time that Duke is employing yeah. a roster like that. While we're on the roster, I, I should note that we did get a preferred walk-on yesterday. Cason uh, yes. Pierce, a six-seven guy from Greensboro, uh, announced that he was coming to Duke as a preferred walk-on. This is, you know, sort of the thing like Justin Robinson. Uh, we probably will see him redshirt this year and and stay for five years. But uh, that it, I don't know. I don't think that had anything to do with the pay at, at all. I, in fact, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say it didn't. But uh, that yeah, is another no roster spot that is taken up uh, by someone else. Well, although, uh, you know, walk-ons like that, they, they aren't, they're, they're not taking up a scholarship um, unless Correct. they decide Correct. to give them one down the road. And, but, and but Coach K doesn't, doesn't generally keep lots of walk-ons on the bench. So no. even if, and, and, and to tease a little bit, we will hear uh, one of our guests reference this uh, in the upcoming interview, but Coach K doesn't just have, lots of spaces on the bench. There's usually only one, two, maybe three walk-ons on the team. And that's about, we that's have about four, four, four we this have four year, this year. So, and that's, yeah. and that's, that's about as big as, as I can ever remember it being. Yeah. Four. And, and two of them are going to be red shirt freshmen. And the other one is a freshman. I, I agree. Pierce will probably 
Um, he'll probably redshirt. Uh, it's pretty unlikely guys like this that they, you know, contribute anything but but garbage minutes and and practice minutes. Not that there's not a value in practice minutes, um, but uh, but anyway, I, um, I, it, this is the perfect way I think to segue into our interview. Um, uh, we are we are going to be joined in a couple moments by Andy Means and Chris Duhon. All of you have probably heard of Chris Duhon. Um, uh, you have to be a little bit of a Duke fan from a little ways back to have heard of Andy Means. He was a walk-on on the team in the early 2000s. But let's take you now to our interview. This is a great interview, folks. You're going to love it. Um, a lot of, lot of insight into what it's like to be a Duke player from Chris Duhon and Andy Means. So the DBR podcast is thrilled to welcome two guests. We've never done this before, have we? Two guests at the same time. Joining us is two of the legends of the early aughts, Chris Duhon and Andy Means. Now, I'm sure everybody kind of knows Chris. Andy, no offense. Andy was a walk-on. Hey. He, he, was Chris's, he was Chris's roommate for a couple of years. He was a walk-on on the team. Um, Chris, of course, won a national title and was a point guard for four years and... Uh, uh, and played in the, uh, you know, wait, actually, did you play in the NBA? Yeah. For nine years? Did. Yeah, you played in the NBA did. for a while, man, right? <laughs> what the hell's wrong with me? <laughs> also, also, Jason. You the title of this uh, website and podcast. I don't think you're following. <laughs> also, Jason, Jason, this is the most important thing. They are part of the best class in Duke history, the class of 2004. Donald, I was just going to say that. Uh, I, I was going to say, Donald, why don't you kick off the questions? For, for Chris and Andy, because you're their classmate. Absolutely. Okay, so Chris and Andy, first of all, thank you guys for joining us, fellow Class of 04 members. Uh, glad to see you guys. Chris, I'm going to start with you. When you, we were freshmen, we obviously won the national championship in 2000, 2001. When you joined, you were a freshman kind of walking into a machine with a bunch of talented players. What were practices like as a freshman walking into that fray? Oh, man, man. I mean, practices were intense. Uh, you know, kind of we had a lot of guys kind of, you know, compete, competing for playing time, especially early on. Um, but then, you know, obviously they had a great, you know, core and nucleus from the year before. Um, you know, kind of the only main guy that wasn't there from the year before was Chris Carwell. He graduated as a senior. So uh, all those guys uh, played a lot of minutes, played a lot of minutes together. Uh, so it was pretty much, you know, everybody was knowing that, you know, we had a good chance of uh, winning the national championship and, you know, practices were intense, you know, practices were preparing ourselves to, to make that long haul. And Andy, you joined the team shortly after and you kind of walked into this national championship team, but you also had you both of you had a bunch of players above you that were, you know, world class athletes. And then you also became the veterans on the team to be able to pass down, you know, your knowledge. So how, what did you learn from guys like Jay will, you know, Dunleavy, Dante Jones, and how do you bring that to the next generation? Like JJ Sheldon and little day. Yeah. Well, I mean, to speak on what you just asked Chris about the competitiveness, like when I got to work out with them that freshman year for like a week or so, and I thought I was just a little out of my shoes, man. Like that's uh they gave me the opportunity to make the team that year. And I just told them, like, hey, I, I thought there was too many people and I just thought I wouldn't. And there was just so, so much talent there. So I, I just uh, 
put my student cap on for my freshman year and just decided to do that. Wait, 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 Andy, I want to be clear. So you could have been part of a national championship and you opted not to. (laughs) I don't I mean, I don't even know if I would have even made the team. They had they had like 16 guys already on the team. So I didn't know if uh, if it was just they had a spot in the room uh, with uh, Chris and Andre Sweet. Uh, and they just and maybe it would have been I just would have ended up being a manager or something, but I, it it worked out great because freshman year was probably one of my favorite years, and it was uh, the one year I didn't play. So uh, I don't know if trust me, I don't have any regrets. I I know they won a championship that year, and we got close our senior year, but it just you know things happen for a reason, and you know I didn't I didn't end up doing it that year, but I'm glad I did the next three. And yeah, um, it was weird because you go from that uh, just kind of trying not to step on toes and trying to be quiet, and then you blink and then it's senior year and you're to look to for some leadership so uh yeah it was uh it was quite a ride coming back from that national championship in 2001 what's the motivation like how do you guys get yourself motivated to go out and try and win another one and be successful uh andy i'll, I'll give that to you since you were joining uh kind of at that moment well i think the rally cry rally cry was let's win one for means since he didn't play last year so that's pretty <laughs> 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 no, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, it's weird because coach is so good at that stuff. Uh, just he treats every season as, as its own, as its own ride, as its own journey. So it's not like you, you don't want to get in the, we're defending something thing you would want to get in. We want to go in one for everyone here. Uh, so we had, we had new guys each year and that was the case that like we had Daniel Ewing, that was his freshman year. Daniel Ewing didn't win one uh, the year before. So like every, every season is its own ride. And, and basically when you treat, every day like he treats every day which is so how can i get better each day that kind of just just works itself out and that's we have a target on our backs anyway so like the fact that we won the year before didn't really matter you know everyone's gonna try to knock us off every night and chris same question like you know you came in you you had started to become a starter on the team as a point guard towards the end of the season now you're in a backcourt with jay will you guys are the two uh starters uh established starters at that point what was how was it harder for you? Was it more difficult or, or did you guys enter that season saying, Hey, we can, you know, we're still the best team in the country and someone's got to knock us off our perch. Yeah. I mean, that was our mindset. We still felt like we had the best talent, uh, you know, in the country, best team in the country, you know, obviously uh, you losing Shane Battier and, you know, Nate James uh, who were two big important factors for us winning, uh, you know, and also hard to replace, uh, but, you know, we had Dante Jones who was sitting out that year. So we were real confident that he could step up and do some things for us. And then also bringing in a, a kid like Daniel Ewing as well. Uh, you know, so we were just as confident. We, we know it was just going to look a little different. Um, but we we felt going in that we still was the best team in the country. OK, be honest. In 2002, we're playing Indiana. Mm. It's the last four seconds of the game. Mm. Will makes the three-pointer, misses the free throw. Booz grabs the ball. Was he fouled? I thought he was fouled. Uh, Hell yeah. At, yeah I thought he was fouled. <laughs> Watching the tape again, I thought he was fouled. Uh, you know, but, you know, kind of what Coach, you know, mentioned afterwards, you know, in those, those times, like, you can't – I thought he went up a little bit softer than he normally goes up. Like he definitely had time to – I think the clock went faster in his head than it actually went, uh, and he had time to kind of gather himself and, like, really go up and, you know, make a strong play because 
I mean, Boozer's big as hell. So, you know, little contact usually never bothers him at all. I think the time kind of rushed him a little bit to where he thought he had to go quicker than he really had to. We we, we never should have been in that position, though, in that game. Don't you think, Chris? I mean, I thought oh, that no. team, that's, uh, you know, that team alongside the 1999 team, to me, I was like, these guys are winning a national title. And both times I was wrong. I hate that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we were killing them. I think we were up 20 at most of the game pretty much. And then the thing that we kind of prided ourselves that we we usually dominate was teams going in zone and they went in the zone and we had no answer for it. And uh, that was still kind of baffling to us. And I think that kind of threw us off psyche wise because we were, you know, always so good shooting the basketball from three and, you know, a zone should never affect us. And, you know, when shots weren't going in and they kind of made a run, um, you know, we just mentally wasn't able to overcome that. Okay, so the last question on, on our on our career at Duke, uh, you can take a time machine back to 2000 to 2004. You can change one thing about your college experience. What is that one thing? Uh, Andy, I'll start with you, and then Chris, you can chime in. Okay. I mean, I forget what I said earlier. I said everything happens for a reason, but I think now I will change my answer to say that I would have played on the championship team. <laughs> <laughs> smart that's a good one Chris good answer but who knows who knows though but maybe like if I'm in practice maybe someone lands on my foot and rolls an ankle and like and then you, you never know what happens so maybe they didn't win it if I'm there maybe I'm so terrible I bring the team down and they don't win it <laughs> let's say that let, let's say that, 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 that happen, man. you you feel that way but everyone else is glad that you weren't on the team there yeah everyone else should be glad because they ended up winning so I, I took one for the team took one for the university there you go Oh, I mean, it's funny. I mean, it's obviously that Indiana, that Indiana game. I mean, I think if we take care of business there, you know, we're we're back to back champions. I mean, because we already kind of had uh, a psyche over Maryland, uh, you know, anyway, playing them, you know, tough them for the last two years during that time. And then, you know, I don't, you know, I think we could have matched up with Syracuse or Kentucky or sorry, Kansas. Uh, or is that, that – I'm sorry, that's 2003. Uh, I forgot who Maryland ended Indiana up being. Indiana and Maryland are the, are the, were in the championship game. So. Yeah. Yeah, we – I think that that was a, a wasted opportunity for us that, you know, we should have been back-to-back champions for sure that year. Chris, I want to transition a little bit and ask you about your NBA career. You obviously – you played in the league for nine years, um, I think most prominently with the – with the Bulls, um, but you played for a few different organizations. Um, what was it like making the transition from being, you know, all-American star player at Duke to being in the league with all the, you know, you came into the league with with a lot of other talented players. Um, you know, you came in around the same time as guys like LeBron James, Chris Paul. Um, what was it like making that transition and, and what was sort of the hardest part of that? Oh, I mean, obviously it was a dream. You know, it's something that you worked hard for and, you know, for to – to come about, you know, obviously you was excited, but, you know, again, you're going against the best talent in the world, you know, each and every night. And, uh, you know, it, it was fun and challenging at the same time. Um, I think what helped me uh, transition kind of quickly and easier was because our team was very, very young. Uh, you know, Kirk Heinrich was in his second year. Uh, we Ben Gordon was in my draft class, Luol Dang. Uh, myself, we picked up Andre Snocioni from Argentina. So it was technically his rookie year as well. 
And, you know, we had Tyson Chandler, Eddie Curry, who, although it was their fourth year, they both came out of high school. So I'm older than both of them. Um, so it was, it was a really, really young team. We had some great veterans in Antonio Davis and Athola Harrington and Eric Piakowski and a tough coach of Scott Skiles, which I was already familiar with, that type of coaching style with Coach K. And he kind of coached us like a college team. I mean, he coached us like a college team because we were so young. A lot of us came from great college programs, you know, UConn, Kansas. So they were kind of used to it as well. So we just kind of embraced it. And it kind of became our, our identity. Um, and it just taught me how to, to continue got to play hard. I mean, you know, playing a point guard position was not an easy position to play. You know, when you have Island Iverson on Monday, then Jason Kidd on Tuesday, and then you take a break and then you get Steve Nash and then you get Gilbert Arenas. So uh, just developing a mindset that you got to go out and play hard every single day because the talent that you're going against is the best in the world. Um, you know, I think having Scott Skiles as my coach during that time really helped prepare me uh, for my journey during that time. Hey, hey Chris, and, let me ju- jump, let me jump in. Who who was the toughest guy you played against? Who's the guy that you're like you look at the schedule like, oh God, I don't want to play him. <laughs> uh, well, so, so it was kind of different those years because Kirk and I, you know, Ben Gordon was allergic to defense, so um, you know, it was pretty much. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. No, I'm a Pistons fan. I can verify. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty much, uh, I love BG. BG was a man. But uh, it was pretty much Kirk and I, you know, we kind of switched. So, you know, not only were we guarding point guards, we are guarding two guards. So we would guard the Kobe's. We would guard uh, the LeBron's. We would guard, you know, the Ray Allen's, you know, when he was in Seattle and he was Ray Ray Allen, uh, Jesus Shuttleworth. So, um the toughest, as far as a point guard, uh, it was two. It was Gilbert Arenas, uh, just because, I mean, I mean, he could shoot it from 50 like it was a free throw. He was uh, physical. He could get the, yeah, he could get to the basket. I think he was always one of the top guys leading getting to the free throw line because he could get to the basket. Shoot from anywhere, both ways, off the dribble, didn't matter. He, was he also tough. I would assume that Gilbert had a little bit of PTSD anytime he saw you or Jason Williams or any of those other guys across the floor from him, right? <laughs> yeah, you know what? He actually – Gilbert really never cared about that national championship. <laughs> like, I was teammates with him in Orlando, and he was like, man, bro, I was already thinking about the league. I didn't give a damn if we won or not. <laughs> wow. So, I, don't, I don't think he really, really cared that much. He was more into what he was going to do in the league. Uh, so yeah, he was one. And then Chauncey Billups was another one, uh, just because it was a different style. You know, you go against, you know, Chris Paul and Jay Kidd and all these guys, they're more up and down floor leader to where Chauncey's game was real slower. Uh, obviously he could shoot the basketball really well, but then he also posted up, you know, he was a guy that can bring you into the post and score in the post. So that was a game where you had to be a little bit more physical and know that, uh, you're going to be spending a lot of time in the post and uh, you got to do a good job of trying to stop him in the post. So those two were uh, two of my toughest challenges and, and the ones that, you know, I really had to make sure my shoe strings were tight, tight and real tight when I played against those two. I want to uh, bring Andy back in the conversation and I want to ask you both a little bit. Um, Chris, you mentioned that the, transition to playing for Scott Skiles and playing in the NBA was made easier by 
your experience at Duke. Um, as you guys were, you know, transitioning away from Duke, how did you stay in touch with the program? Um, and, you know, because you've both obviously pursued careers staying in basketball. I would imagine that the influence of, of having gone to Duke is, is a big part of that sort of on an ongoing basis. So how did you stay in touch with the program in the years after you left, be it in the NBA or, or in other pursuits? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. Um, I mean, first and foremost, like a lot of my best friends now are guys that I played with or guys I went to school with. So that just naturally happened just by doing, I could have been doing whatever and I still would have been keeping in touch, but also a lot of the stuff where you just, there's always, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that they put together, like the K Academy. I know for like the, the big time former players that I'll go back for that, but just any, any like tournament games or we uh, guys are always going back to games. It's always just kind of a reunion and they're like, and there are multiple reunions a year. So it, it you know, Miss Jerry, Jerry Brown, uh, coach's secretary, she's always kind of like been the hub and we always like go through her to, to get our tickets and everything. And she kind of treats us like her, all of her sons. So um, it's been pretty easy. I mean, I can, I can reach out to the office and, and, and be in touch with anybody. And it's, uh, it's been pretty seamless. So um, they do a great job. I mean, it's, they say that they, they have the brotherhood thing, but it's, it's not just like a marketing thing. It's like, it's true. Like every, they keep such a family environment even i mean what are we now like 15 we're 15 16 years almost 16 years from graduation and you still feel like you're a part of it so it's 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 100 the truth man don't be telling my age andy means <laughs> I, I, what do i have you what do i have you by 20 days <laughs> watch the tone watch the tone <laughs> nah just i mean just to echo what uh andy was saying um I mean, everything he says is true. We have K Academy. And then also, you know, as you know, when we were seniors, I mean, we still grew up with JJ and Sheldon and Dockery and Lee and those guys. Like we we played with those guys for two years. So, you know, it was special for us just to watch them mature into the players they eventually became. And, you know, we still felt like we we were still a part of their team because, you know, those were our guys. Like we we saw them as freshmen. We saw them grow from freshman to sophomore year. And to be able to continue to watch them grow, uh, you know, was also great. And then, like, you know, Andy said, K Academy. And, you know, anytime, like, if they played in the city that we were close to or I was close to, if I had the opportunity, I would go catch a game. And, and, and I was always in contact with Coach. You know, Coach and I used to talk at least once a month uh, while I was – playing in NBA and you know I would always talk to Johnny Dawkins who was my assistant coach and Wojo and and Chris Collins like we always stayed in touch uh, throughout my whole career. You mentioned JJ Redick and I wanted to touch on him quickly before we move to kind of the modern Duke era. Um, did you you guys uh, got to play with JJ in college? Did you see JJ Redick still being in the league in 2020? Um I did because I saw his his transformation uh, when we were teammates in Orlando, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, with J.J. being a specialist, uh, you know, you have to find your niche, you know, especially in the league because, you know, you can see, you know, proving cases for, you know, for instance, Jimmer Ferdet or Brian Morrison, guys that, you know, led their team in score and could shoot the basketball when they were in college, but they were getting all the shots. You know, they could shoot it anytime they want uh, and they're going to play so many type of minutes to where in the NBA, when you're not the guy, you got to be efficient. 
you know, when you get your opportunities, you have to take advantage of your opportunities. And I think going in, when I became teammates with JJ, uh, I saw that he was starting to figure that out. And he did an amazing job of really taking care of his body, being in the best shape, uh, really perfecting his craft. And I think that's what helped him get over that hump uh, because he started to play better. You know, he started to defend a little bit better. Um, he was more confident shooting the basketball. And, um, you know, that translates. You know, if you can shoot the ball in the league, there's going to always be a spot for you in the league. And, you know, he already had a, uh, a good – a really good basketball IQ. So once he found his niche and he became consistent at it, uh, I felt that he could play, you know, for however long as he wanted to play. Danny, did you have anything to add on that? <laughs> yeah, for me, I just wanted to point out on with him is like he gets a reputation for for not being a good defender, and that's and that's why maybe like even early on in his career that maybe his minutes were limited. But if you if you look if you actually watch him like focus on him every single game he plays, and it's easier to say this now that he's been a veteran in the league a lot longer, but he's always in the right position as a team defender. So like that's underrated as even in the league, I think people underrate how much team team defense and team scheme is uh, is factored into how good a defense is. It's not just all individual matchups. And he is literally always, always in the right spot. So that uh, I think that helped uh, elongate his career a little bit. So looking more at the, at the last few years of Duke basketball, there's been a, I think a transition that people outside the program see where guys now predominantly the best players on the team are coming in as freshmen and they're leaving after one, maybe two years. Um, Back when you guys were in the program, you know, Luol Deng being um, something of an exception to this, because I, I think he had his own circumstances. But for the most part, players like Shane Battier, Chris Duhon, um, J.J. Redick were staying for three, four years. Jason Williams even staying for the three years and graduating and going to the NBA. Um, do you think that the program has changed its philosophy around recruiting and development, or do you think that it's more just a function of the landscape changing underneath Duke and, and coach K saying, look, I still want to recruit McDonald's all Americans. This is the way to do it. Um, how do you, how do you kind of to see that transition having gone and, and also then like looking at the program now and seeing guys like Zion Williamson and Marvin Bagley and all these guys who, who just come and stay for one year. I'll, I'll start. Um, I think, I mean, it's, this is speculation on my part. I don't like talk to coach personally at weekly about his uh, personal recruiting strategy or anything, but like, it's, I mean, it's pretty clear. He is going for the best players. And it just so happens that these days that those guys are going to stay for one year because it, I mean, it would be silly not to go and start your, start your professional career as soon as possible, especially for the elite of the elite. I mean, if you look back in like, I don't know, a couple of years after us, you can make the argument that he was going for guys that were maybe, a, you know, a tier below that. And, that that was kind of a you know there were some early exits there so maybe he decided I'm just going to get the best talent if that means they're saying one year if that means they're saying four years I just want to get the best talent I'm still going to recruit guys I want to coach I still want to recruit high character guys I still want to recruit guys that uh, are deserving of wearing the Duke uniform but I think it's pretty clear that the the strategy has changed yeah um I mean I don't think so much the strategy has changed I think uh, his mindset of accepting it has changed because kind of to echo what Andy said. You know, he was looking for guys that, you know, wanted to be a part of Duke. And um, he did, kind of didn't want people to be like, all right, I'm going to use Duke to, you know, go and, you know, create my own brand and then go and get drafted. 
you know, he was always wanting to make Duke a special place where you come and you just do your job and all that other stuff was going to happen, you know, anyway, just because of the brand that we've already are, he already created. Um, I mean, I think a lot of it now is just, just the times of change, you know, with AAU and uh, with everybody, you know, in these kids ears, like if you take the top 100 kids right now out of high school, all hundred of them think they're one and done, you know, and that's, that's just the mindset of those kids. And I think, uh, you know, not only Duke, but every coach and every program has to adjust to that, to know that that's the mindset of these kids. These kids want to get to the NBA as quick as possible. Uh, and so I think coach, you know, kind of tempered his expectations. But if you think about it, he's still recruiting the same top kids. I mean, Grand Hill could have been a one and done. You know, Elton Brand could have been a one and done. Jay Will could have been a one and done. You know, but that wasn't our mindset. Our mindset, we had more, hey, we're going to Duke because we want to win a national championship. And, you know, that meant something to us to where I don't believe it's the same thing for these kids now. Like, if they do win one, that's just kind of icing on the cake. But they're just trying to drive their stock up as much as possible so they can to get drafted. I mean, I mean, if you look at it now, there's, you know, these guys, there's like 60 people putting their names in the draft that are underclassmen, and there's only 60 draft spots, you know. So, you know, when we would leave, and I would say back in my era before, you know, you were leaving if you were guaranteed lottery. You know, that's why Mike Dunleavy left. Dunleavy left because he knew he was going to be the third pick of the draft. Like, okay, you got to go. You know, Jay Will left because he knew – he was going to be one or two picking the draft, you know, and so on. So, you know, that was kind of a pride thing. Like you wouldn't leave unless you knew that you were going to be a, a lottery pick. But now kids are just leaving because maybe they don't want to do school or, you know, whatever their circumstances are, you know, kids are already have in their mind when they get there that it's, you know, I'm trying to get to the NBA as quick as possible. All right, Chris, I've got one more quick question for you about coming back to Duke. Um, when did the Cameron Crazy stop doing the do 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 Han cheer? And did you feel old when you realized that they weren't doing it anymore? Oh, uh, when did it stop? Yeah, it it, it has stopped. I mean, because I mean now, I mean like going back to Duke games this is like a production now. Like they have the screen with the you know the uh. You know, they they show videos and things like that. Like everything is ran like completely different. Like student section doesn't really feel like the student section like it was when you know I was there. Um, I would they play hip hop now. They play hip hop now, and they play like eighties when we were there. Yeah, eighties yeah, yeah, music is great stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I would say, because uh, I'm trying to think of a game. I know I was at Cameron when JJ broke the scoring record. Uh, I think the ACC scoring record when they, I think they played Miami uh, his senior year. And I remember him doing that, but I don't remember, I don't remember being in Cameron for a game until after I was done. So there was a, there was a long transition for all the, for all the students that would have known you or like been around during your time to have, graduated and, and moved on yeah okay. so all, all the other duke games would catch would be you know either acc tournament or you know one of the games uh or you know usually they play in new york you know earlier in the season or one of the you know tournament games so did you ever did, and then my last question about the cheer 
did you ever get upset that Demarcus Nelson co-opted the cheer? Because then they started doing D D D D Mark for him. So <laughs> thinking, no, was that, no, that you or your no, no, no. Demarcus was my guy. So it, and we wore the same number, so it only made sense. <laughs> All right, we're going to be back with Andy and Chris in just a moment. In fact, I'm going to ask them about their favorite Coach K memory, but we have to take a short break first. So have a listen to this. Okay, guys. So, uh, Chris, one thing we didn't get to ask you about earlier uh, regarding your time at Duke that that I realized as we were talking, I was like, oh, my gosh, we have to ask him about – you mentioned that you felt like you kind of owned Maryland. We got to ask about the gone in 57 seconds game. I mean, there are certain games that are legendary. Considering that game was not a tournament game and not a game against Carolina, it is it is as memorable as as just about any game out there. Talk to me about, you know, there's a minute left. Did did you think we had a chance? Were you even paying attention to the score? Did you realize what was happening? <laughs> yeah, uh, so, I mean, you know, this was, you know, coaches big on, like, you know, believing in him and believing in something bigger than you and things like that. And, you know, we, we've been preaching about it all year. But, you, I mean, you still got to remember, I'm a freshman, so I'm still having completely bought in into, you know, everything as far as, you know, listen to coach, believe in me, trust in what I say, and, you know, things will work out. Uh, but, you know, going into that game, you know, coach in practices and before we went, coach was like, hey, you know, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. And then <clears throat> he always, me. he always says that, right? I mean, that's, that's coach K. No, He's always going to say no, that. He doesn't. he doesn't. He, he, for whatever particular reason, this game, because I think just, uh, how good Maryland was playing at the time uh, and going at to Maryland, which is, was a tough place to play at. Uh, it was something that he, I think he just felt that he had to tell us and, you know, we're down at halftime and that was his main thing. We're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. So we get down to, you know, late in the game and we're losing and we're in the huddle and he's still repeating it. You know, we're going to win this game. And I'm like, coach, have you seen the score? Like, shit, we can <laughs> They will playing like trash, like we ain't winning this game. So we come out of the timeout, and I'll, I'll always remember we're coming out of the timeout, and the whole I think we were ranked number one in the country at that time, and the whole the whole crowd just stands up and they're yelling overrated, overrated. And so we're walking out, and there's literally two guys in the front row that get up. And turn around and like, whoa, 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 not yet, not yet. And Jay Will looks at me and he winks at me. And I'm in him. I'm like, what the hell are you winking at? Like, you got them playing like trash, like, and we about to lose <laughs> winking at me. And sure enough, next thing you know, bam, layup, bam, still three. I'm like, oh, damn, okay. Like, woke up. So then, I mean, I think we're, we, Cut down five points in like eight seconds or ten seconds. Yeah, oh, like three seconds. It was fast. It was fast. Yeah. Yeah. But now it was more realistic. Now you're able to really like believe more because you're like, all right, we're down five, like 40 seconds now. You know, now we 
you know, come down, miss a free throw, bam, Jay comes down, hits another three. And then from then on, you could just kind of see the faces of, the, of Maryland like, oh, here we go. Here we go again. And then, you know, Steve Blake filed out during that time. So Drew Nicholas, who's a freshman as like I was, man, we filed him. And, you know, Jay and I are just hounding him all the way to the free throw line. Like, oh, he's going to miss. It's going to be short right. It's going to be left. You know, you might have used, you know, a few extra <laughs> words that you probably can't use on the podcast. But, uh, I mean, we're just we're, – we're hounding him. And, bam, he misses the free throw. And, you know, we're at it again. We're at it again. And he misses it again. And then, you know, we come down and, you know, I uh, think Nate gets fouled on the tip end. Uh, you know, we tie yep. the game up. And then, you know, we just do, you know, because we knew they were going to have the last possession. We just knew, man, we, we get the stop. We get the overtime. Like, you know, we're going to beat them in overtime, man. Uh, but, I mean, it was amazing to, to be a part of, amazing to see Jay Will switch, just change just like that. I mean, I mean, he was horrible that game. And all of a sudden, like he, I mean, he could, he was unguardable. Like they, there was nothing that he can do. And then, like I said, once we got into overtime, I mean, our confidence was super high. But it just goes to a test that, like you said, Coach K during that timeout, and we're down, and he's still preaching that same message, like, "Hey, you believe in me? We're going to win this game. You believe in me? We're going to win this game." And it turns out he was right. All right, so. So, Andy, I want to go to you really quick um, because the only reason we're doing this is because you've been doing this exact same thing for the past couple of weeks. Um, I, I know that you are. T- tell folks actually, you know, what your what your regular gig is and what you're doing now. We, we want to give you a chance to promote yourself a little bit. Yeah, I work at a, a website called Roto Grinders, and we're just um, the leading website for daily fantasy sports players. So I've at the past, I don't know, three years or so been their one of their main NBA guys. So I do an article five days a week and I do a live stream show um, leading up to the games uh, that night, whatever NBA games there are that night. So I've uh, been doing that for the past three years or so, I think uh, just, just immersing myself in NBA games and NBA advanced stats and analytics and whatnot. So couldn't ask for uh, anything better than that, honestly. And then just with this recent uh, pandemic and everything, you know, sports get shut down. So there, if there's no NBA games, there's no NBA contest that I can write stuff on. And I just thought, you know, I want, I was trying to be creative and come up with some content to give the people why they're sitting at home bored. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to tap into my, my network a little bit, my, my old teammates and and see what happens uh, from there. So I talked to Chris, talked to Reggie Love, uh, talked to Andy Borman and actually just recorded one with Shane Battier the other night. So I started uh, a podcast and just, it's called mean streets and you're going to see where it goes, talk to former teammates. And then I kind of want to expand out a little bit too, from that, but I don't know, it's new. I don't know uh, if it's going to be popular. I don't know if people listen to it. I don't know if it's going to stick around, but it's fun. Good deal, man. And uh, Hey, Chris, what, what are you up to these days? I know you were coaching for a little while. Yeah, right now I'm in the NBA coaches program. So, uh, you know, right now I've, their, their job is to kind of, or not job, but they're helping former uh, NBA players kind of learn the the ins and outs of being a coach. Uh, you know, now with especially is, you know, about analytics and, you know, all these type of things, uh, you know, they're teaching us to use, you know, the different softwares that, you know, the NBA teams use as far as like sports code and synergy and how to break down tapes, how to do a scouting report, uh, know the analytics, uh, something that, as former players, uh, you know, we didn't have access to. So it's trying to help improve, 
uh, our chances of getting jobs because of, you know, all these other uh, coaches and assistant coaches that are not former players, they've been doing this for years. So they know the software or they know all this other type of stuff. So it's just trying to help us gain an advantage of being like, hey, you know, obviously I play and I know stuff on the court, but I can also break down film. I can also get a scout report. I also can, you know, use all these different softwares as well. So, um, you know, I'm in that type of program and, you know, uh, see where that leads. Uh, you know, speaking of that, just uh, your your conversation about, you know, analytics and, um, you know, and looking at, you know, advanced, you know, programs that tell you what's a good shot, what's a bad shot. Uh, tell me really quick. I, I feel like when I watch the old games, I'm like, oh, wait, that's that shot that we used to like. No one takes anymore because it's not a good shot. Um, I mean, do, do you do you notice how much the game has changed? It's it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it is, you know, you got to give credit to, you know, Mike D'Antoni. I mean, he was the one, especially when, you know, when they were in Phoenix and, you know, I played under him when I was in New York and, you know, just a simple post up and, you know, throw it down into the post and let the guy go and work. Uh, you know, when you look at the analytics, that's the worst shot in basketball. And, um, you know, th- I think the thing is with the analytics, because I think the corner three pointer is uh, the third best analytical shot uh, in the game. Uh, but the number one is a layup. <laughs> and if you still look at those teams with Phoenix, they led the team, they led the uh, the NBA in points in the paint. It's just their layups were easy layups from backdoor cuts and, because the floor was so spread, the big is not there. So they're, you know, they're actually getting layups instead of throwing it into a big and then letting him go one-on-one, you know, against a defender. So uh, it's changed the game. It's changed how, you know, everyone now is just trying to shoot the three. Um, but uh, and that's that's just kind of what the numbers say. But, you know, I, you know what I still tell guys, the, the, still the best shot is a layup. So why are you running to the three-point line when <laughs> you could get a layup? So, but uh, yeah, this has definitely changed the culture of the game for sure. All right, guys. So this is the moment. Every time we have former Duke players on, I ask this question. Um, We've had some great answers over the years. Um, Andy, I'm going to go to you first. You're you're about to get asked the question, which is give me your best Coach K story. I want like he inspired the team in this crazy way or he did this funky, crazy thing. Give me a good Coach K story, man. Yeah, I'm going back and forth between two where I don't oh, know. Oh, you can give us both. Back. You can give both. <laughs> well, I'm try- I'm, okay, I'll start with the one that, you know, when Dante Jones was on the Levitard show and was making up all that stuff about what, what really happened, I had to step in and tell him what really happened. But, like, we watched – we went to – we watched – man, I'm trying to remember what movie it was the night before, but it was some sort of wartime movie. And we watched them because it, it, it was like we got to see it ahead of time because I think the, the director mm-hmm. had to do with – had to do with Duke. Um, uh, and so we come back to Cameron, the lights are off. He like gives us a, a motivational speech. We have like, you know, a good, it's a night before a big game. I don't remember specifically about that meeting, but the next night before the game, we, you know, we go out for warmups and we come back in let's call it the eight minute mark. And um, usually when we come back in, we come back in he just gives us a quick two minute talk. And then we, um, then we go back out for, you know, starting lineups and whatnot. But this time we come back in, the lights are off and coaches in there. And he and from like down the hall from where he usually will walk in to talk to us, he, there's like this flaming arrow that comes flying in there. 
and like lands Wait, on the floor. A, a flaming arrow? Are you serious? It's like really small. It's it's really small, but it was like it was had something to do with the movie we saw, and and it like hits the floor and starts sparking the floor a little bit, and so like managers come in and start yeah like patting it down and putting it out. And instead of like give us an actual motivational speech and saying something, he just came in and just said, like, let's go. And everyone got really pumped. Uh, so that would be one of them. The fact that he like lit something in our locker room and threw it in there. <laughs> something from a That's movie crazy. we watched before. Is that like, was anyone concerned about the safety of the, of, of this, of this? Action? Well, when, we, when we walked in, we saw like all the managers were like all like a little extra um, up on their toes a little bit. And they were holding towels. It's not something you really think twice so they about. Knew. Yeah, they knew. Oh, absolutely. They knew they were ready to for any issues that were going to happen. And he just like threw it in and we see it land in front of us. And then he comes in and just said, let's go. And everyone gets gets pumped up. So that would be one for sure, because that's the most meaningful, like motivational thing he did. And then the other one would be um, for like film. I love film sessions because one, I just like that's like the best time you can pick his brain on on how he sees the game and everything. And two, since I never played, I never got in trouble. So like I actually I didn't get called out on anything. So one time, like back when we were there, he was very, you know, he didn't like go outwardly say this. You just knew this from the players that were there before. Like, don't wear stuff under your shirt, don't wear uh headbands or you know, stuff like that. Even like all the way down to the socks. Like, I'm not going to say who this player was, but one I got caught on film that he was wearing NBA so the, the the socks with the NBA logo on it. And and so coach pauses it on this guy and we see the logo with the sock and he says he looks at the guy and says nba socks he's like i don't know about that maybe like d-league socks or some some league in france socks but i don't know about nba socks that's hysterical laughing i think he knows who it is (laughs) dante jones for sure <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny because uh, actually yesterday uh, with that 2001 team, because one, we feel like uh, we may not get honored for 20 years or whatever, because, you know, we also coincide with coaches 30 year when the one he won the first when he won his first Chester championship. So we all did like a happy hour cocktail Zoom yesterday. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, with all of us on the on the line, and you know, all these stories came about. So uh, uh, it was pretty funny <laughs> that uh, Andy chose that one because we were actually literally just talking about that uh, yesterday. <clears throat> all right, Chris, so your turn. I I, I got to get your best Coach K story, or or you know, if it's just give me a story about the guys and something crazy that happened while you were while you were in school. Peel back the veil. Let us see Ooh. inside. <laughs> oh man. Let me think. Let me think. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, Andy told that one. So there was another one kind of similar to that. Because uh, who was it? Because I, I kind of got cut off. What was Who was the team? One, the movie that we saw was We Were, we were Soldiers. That's what it was, uh, yep. Um, but who was uh, – what team was that we were playing? Maybe Wake, maybe? I don't know. So I remember we were playing Georgia Tech. And, uh, you know, the game, we played them at Georgia Tech, and we won. But, like, I mean, they were dirty. Like, we were getting elbowed, and they had this kid that was just, like, you know, coach would say punking us, uh, you know, even though that, you know, we won the game. So we're about to play Georgia Tech at home, 
and the practices leading up, we come in and the whole uh, locker room is filled with the word fight. I mean, they printed out the word fight. I mean, everything. I mean, it's just white with the word fight on it. And uh, I mean, you go to the bathroom and all the mirrors is with fight. You go to the, the, the urinal and it's fight, 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 fight. Like everything is just filled with the word fight. You go get try to get a bagel. And it's fight, 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 fight. So, you know, that was his message. And then, you know, we're about to go play Georgia Tech. And, you know, coach usually comes in and he talks. You know, we really normally rarely ever watch video or anything like that. And he just plays the video of, man, Dunleavy getting elbowed and this guy getting pushed here and this guy getting pushed here. And, And then turns it off. He just looks. He's like, let's go fight. And. I mean, I think we went on like a 28 to two run at the beginning of the game. Like we were just like, so like amped up and, um, you know, it was just one of his ways, his creative ways of like just trying to motivate us and things like that. So uh, he was really good at that type of stuff. <clears throat> well, guys, this was, this was fabulous. Uh, we, we've been talking for almost an hour and I think we could talk for another hour more. It's been, it's been a ton of fun. You gave us some amazing insight uh, into basketball and into your experiences. We are so, so thankful that uh, you, you loaned us this time during, during this crazy time right now in the world. Um, Chris, good luck with, uh, with the coaching stuff. Um, Thank you. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, we'd love to have you back on sometime. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you can tell us about coaching players at that point. And Andy, uh, uh, we'll definitely have you back on. I know you, you analyze the NBA. When the NBA comes back, we will have you back on to talk about Dukies in the NBA because you probably know more about that than anybody out there. So guys, again, thanks. Yeah. Oh yeah. We got a ton of them. <laughs> and, uh, and we will also um, uh, once again, plug Andy's podcast mean streets. Um, listen to him. Uh, he, he has an interview with Chris, just like this one, uh, probably better than this one. Um, and, and interviews with other players, check out his podcast out there. And uh, guys, again, we're, we're so thankful. Uh, we appreciate you loaning us your time today. Thanks for having me. So that was great. They were a ton of fun. Uh, Chris and Andy, some of those stories were just fat. I'm so glad. Midway through the interview, we realized we hadn't asked Chris about gone in 57 seconds. And then he gave us such great insight into that miraculous game. I especially love the part where he said, Jay Will was playing like trash and then suddenly flipped the switch. I mean, that that is truly what happened in that game. But I just Chris want to thank Duhon, those guys. Duhon has enough has enough juice that he can criticize his yes. teammates. I think yes. he threw shade at, at Jason Williams. He threw shade at Dante Jones. So <laughs> it, it goes to show you that we need way more of the class of 2004 on this podcast, the greatest class to ever go to Duke University. Hey, he actually threw a little bit of shade at Carlos Boozer. He said Carlos didn't take it up as strong as he usually does. So Just calling out names. Yeah. I liked I you know what's cool about him and and about Andy as well is that they had they played with or knew a lot of these other interesting characters at Duke um that sort of part of the transition from like the old school coach K method to the to the new school um which is why I thought it was interesting that you know the way that they talked about the changing philosophy and so um it was uh, it, it was a it was a neat opportunity to talk to them also in tandem because they could check each other on the, on the storytelling.
Yeah, so they were fabulous. And again, we thank them for being on and we thank you for listening in, folks. Please, hey, drop us a line. We're going we're to try and do a mailbag sometime soon. Email us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions. Ask us about anything you're interested in, our lives, Duke basketball, whatever it may be. We want to hear those questions and, and we'll do, a, we'll do a, a mailbag podcast really soon. Also, we've got more Duke guests coming up. Um, we think, we believe that we are going to have the landlord, Sheldon Williams, on in the next uh, few days, and we will have that to you very, very soon. Um, but for now, uh, I am Jason Evans in Atlanta, Georgia. Samuel Klein is at Duke in Durham. Donald Wine is in Charlotte. We are all sheltering in place, staying safe. We hope you are as well as we all ride out this terrible coronavirus storm. Um, all we have to say at this point is go Devils and Duke Band, take us home. Take us home.